Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Welcome to episode 0000. I'm still not sure what number we're up to. I haven't done the uh, the figures. I haven't got out the abacus since I returned last week to work out what number episode we are up to of the mission, this show that you're listening to. I uh, just want to remind everyone that I am presenting from Triple R World Headquarters at the end of the 96 line in Brunswick East, which of course is on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. On the show, we have uh, one interview again, like we did last week, and it's another extended interview uh, with the one and only Thomas Mayo, who you may, of course, well, you definitely would have seen throughout the course of the campaign around the voice to Parliament. He certainly became one of the leading figures when it came to pushing the Yes case to change the Constitution to include an acknowledgement for First Nations people and also a mechanism to ensure that uh, in real time First Nations people had an opportunity to provide advice in relation to them, uh, to the Parliament and to executive government so we couldn't um, mess up policies, systems and uh, procedures when it comes to First Nations people. But of course, uh, as we know, on October 14th, that was resoundingly defeated by the men and women of Australia. Um, so we'll talk to him about a essay he has written for uh, Mianjin, which is um, a, a, a really fascinating uh, essay in an amazing publication. I think anyone who listens to Triple R on a regular basis would know how much content broadcasters in this place get from that particular public publication because it has some of the best stories, some of the best essays, some of the best reporting, some of the best memoir in the country. So stick around for that. We'll play a couple of tunes and then we'll um, play that uh, in around about uh, eight or nine minutes' time. Now, just a quick word on last week's show. We had the one and only, the inimitable Gary Foley, Professor Gary Foley, on, on the show. And the response to the interview that uh, we did with him was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, great to hear a first-hand account from someone who has been a warrior for the cause of his people for approaching 60 years. And the insights that we got from him in terms of the links with uh, some of uh, the black political movement here in Australia and uh, Palestinian solidarity was great, but it was also great to hear his views on many other subjects. So if you want to listen back to that particular interview, I encourage you to go to rr.org.au and uh, search for the mission and search for Gary Foley uh, there and you will see it uh, front and centre and you can listen back to that. Um, like I said, the vast majority of the feedback was overwhelmingly positive, but there was a little bit of feedback that um, wasn't too happy with some of the things he had to say. And I've been reflecting on that. Uh, all week. And I've been reflecting on that within the current context and the current environment that we all find ourselves in at the moment. Uh, I don't want to cover that ground again, but I, I would like to talk about the way we deal with differing opinion in this country. Now, I would suggest that um, 
anyone that knows Gary Foley or the likes of Gary Foley, of which there are, are, are numerous, both before him and certainly after him, know that it's up to an Aboriginal activist to push people's buttons, to, to, to agitate people, to get people to think about things, to get people to feel uncomfortable about the way things are run in this particular neck of the woods. And by doing that, by getting people to feel uncomfortable, hopefully that leads people to think about why they are feeling uncomfortable about certain words or certain ideas or certain sentences that are uttered by some of the activists in this country. It's all part of the national conversation. It's all part of adding value and nuance to the way we cover topics and important issues in this country. And I think that's something that most of us should take forward, not only in the current context, but as we move forward to try and deal with some of the reckoning that needs to happen in this country in relation to a whole range of issues, um, uh, predominantly from my perspective, of course, First Nations issues, we have got to allow for the agitators, we've got to allow for the poets, we've got to allow for the pragmatists, we've got to allow for the writers, the musicians, the artists, because it all comes together into one big rich tapestry of experience, lived experience, thought and provocation. And if you struggle with that, then Triple R is not the station for you. But I know that it is the station for you because you are the most loyal and wonderful audience, as I said, in this beautiful safe harbour that is Triple R. So um, just some thoughts as we move forward, uh, because like I said last week, we have enough division in this place to go around for a very long time and it's up to each one of us in our local settings in our local communities and our families to make sure that we have respectful conversations but also sit as well as we can with discomfort every now and then triple ah Um, now, I think that we might move on to the conversation I recorded earlier in my ivory tower at Radio City Docklands with the one and only Thomas Mayo. Uh, because of what's happening and the atrocities that are occurring around the world, um, on the other side of the globe, there hasn't been much time to decompress, reflect, or even have conversations with um, or, or about the, the referendum that um, uh, really tore at the fabric of uh, social cohesion in this country for those who were on the wrong end of it. Um, so Thomas has actually penned a, an article in uh, MeEngine that we would talk about, but you would know who Thomas is. He's a, he's a regular on Triple R. He's released six books, a lot of them related to the Uluru Statement from the Heart. He's a former warfare that has come to prominence, prominence in his own right and was one of the leading proponents of the Yes case in the recent referendum. He was attacked relentlessly, trolled relentlessly, both uh, from the usual types in the Australian community, um, from bot farms. There was a fair degree of lateral violence going around as well, I'm very sad to say. 
but he remained dignified and staunch throughout. So over the next uh, 25 minutes or so, you'll hear the conversation that I had with uh, Thomas earlier this afternoon on which he reflects on all of that. See you on the other side. Thomas Mayer, welcome back to the mission. Good to be back, brother. It's uh, been uh, one hell of a year. Where, where do we find you this Tuesday? Uh, I'm in Darwin on Larrakia country uh, at home, so in the nice hot weather. How many days did you spend away from home um, in recent times? Well, um, by the time uh, the referendum was held, I'd only been home 25 days for the year, so it was a, a very very little amount of time at home with the family. Wow, that's, um, that's an amazing uh, commitment and an amazing sacrifice to make. Um, everyone that committed themselves fully to the referendum um, made sacrifices both socially, family-wise, but also intellectually and um, I guess uh, psychotically <laughs> as well, as you kind of lay out in uh, your uh, latest piece for Mean Gen, Defining Racism with Love and Care. Um, so it's a beautiful piece, uh, as per usual, um, from you. You, you. you nicely dissect some of the things that you experienced throughout the year and, and provide some analysis so over what happened with the referendum uh, result. Um, one thing that you made clear is that um, the campaign wasn't about you, even though you were one of the central figures. And so that's why you resisted a lot of the uh, attacks from people who were opposing the voice, um, a lot of uh, uh, the, the, the hundreds, perhaps thousands of trolls that were attacking Yes Advocates day in, day out. Uh, why did you resist the urge to fight back and get into the gutter with them? Well, because I understood that would have lost us votes. It would have. Um, it was the controversy they were seeking, and also because I got a pretty good idea that um, they would. They were trying to to bait me. You know, I think um, it especially became clear with that cartoon that was published in the Australian Financial yeah. Review uh, by the No Campaign. And, um, you know, I, th I think they were, you know, they, they understood I was a wolfie. They understood, you know, that I was, uh, you know, from a, a strong, you know, militant union, as they describe uh, our union. Um, you know, the angry black man sort of stereotype is what they were hoping for. And I knew that any time that I pushed back uh, that with the way that the, uh, you know, uh, large sections of the media were, uh, making everything negative, even positive things negative in the headlines, that that's all it would have done and it would have um, damaged the campaign. So, yeah, it wasn't about me. It was about, uh, you know, trying to get the voice in the Constitution and that's why I resisted. We reflect now there's lots of lessons to come out of the referendum itself and, and the way that the, the national debate was actually held and discussed and and you know, whether we're mature enough to have these conversations um, as we move forward. Um, looking back at it now, do you think that the referendum was pretty much lost on the 5th of April when Dutton came out and announced his opposition to it? Well, I think um, I think there's a whole lot of factors, but that was certainly uh, one of the most important. Uh, and especially when he chose to take us down this, you know, Trump, style um, political campaign where 
you know you just you just keep lying you know and you and you and it was really uh quite awful when he said that it would re-racialize australia that if indigenous people would have a voice and um you know i think we've spoken about this before but that was when it really came on thick and fast and mm. uh really toxic on social media we just let the let the trolls off the leash and um and just tried to intimidate anybody that tried to speak up for it and um, and put people off again with that negativity. Um, people switch off. They don't. They turn to yeah, look negative at something that's in the media in that way. Yeah, the trolls pretty much verbatim took the the no campaigns talking points and um, armed them even further with you know uh, with even heavier racism and, and gross stereotypes and pumped them out on uh, social media every day. Did you? Get any idea as to where or who was was funding these troll farms because they were well organised, well coordinated, um, and and seemingly you know just too many just popping up out of nowhere overnight, day after day after being blocked or being um, kicked off the off various platforms. Have you any idea where the funding for those troll farms, those bot farms, came from? Well, there's a. I had a an interesting conversation with a guy, um, Jeremy Walker, I think his name is, uh, UTS at, at the University of um, what do you call it? Technology, University of Technology, mm-hmm. Sydney, or something like that. Um, he he um, talks about Atlas, uh, an organisation that um, you know funded by very rich people that have made their money from fossil fuels that, uh, you know, that were behind the campaign. But it'll be interesting to see when, I think it's, I think it's April next year, uh, might be, might be sooner when the, uh, the information comes out about who funded the campaigns. But certainly uh, the, they were not, you know, your average Australian. A lot of them were emboldened by uh, what the bulk of uh, the trolls were. And I think they were, uh, you know, bots, they were people with multiple accounts. And one of the ways that you could um, be pretty certain of that is that they were, if you looked at these accounts, uh, not only did they have a small amount of followers and have only, had only joined, you know, Twitter or, or whatever, um, you know, uh, during the referendum campaign, but also they were retweeting and, and sharing things that were not really Australian, you know, domestic issues. Yeah. Um, you know about about Biden, for example, and, and you know I don't think the ordinary Australian you know cares enough to constantly be retweeting uh, American politics. You know, yeah, I, I remember some of the language from some of the the trials was um, just didn't sound right. Didn't sound like it was uh, using an Australian vernacular at all. Um, I always used to see that as as a way of telling you know or identifying um, a, a bot in this country. Uh, one of the things that uh, was as revealing as the result itself was, of course, the way the debate was conducted. Given that the no campaign uh, seems to me have fully adopted Trumpian type tactics when it comes to campaigning, um, do you hold concerns for the way that um, democracy is going in this country as a result of the way that campaign was conducted? Yeah, I certainly do. I mean, have a look at the United States. Um, you know, since Trump, it's it really is, uh, uh, you know, in danger, I think, their democracy. 
and you know we we don't want that. I think that's something that all of us that were involved, any of us that are that are aware of of these things, need to work to um, try and avoid that situation. Um, you know, the next federal election, uh, and and you know the there is a constant attack on. Uh, on you know the culture wars are continuing. They're using that, um, I guess, to keep warmed up towards the next federal election. So we've just got to be aware of it, you know, and we've got to let people know uh, what to expect. And you know, I, I think it was interesting, Daniel, the analysis on uh, how people that were better educated, you know, or had tertiary education or higher, tended to be uh, tended to vote yes, whereas. Um, you know, less people with less formal education tended to be those that voted no, and um, I, I think um, I think that's something that we also need to think about uh, and help uh, any anyone around us that we can influence that might be falling for such disinformation that we saw in the referendum campaign. Uh, and it's not easy. I, I know we've all tried this, but we've got to figure out a way to get through to people about where they're getting their information from and to help them to see what the, you know, what the agenda is. Yeah, you can look at that particular issue in terms of the, uh, you know, educational attainment of um, no voters in particular as either a problem or um, maybe we've just identified a solution and, and part of that solution is making sure that uh, we teach civics in, in in schools as part of the curriculum, so people understand the nature of our democracy and the and the pillars of our democracy better. And that we also, of course, uh, teach true history, which has come a long way since uh, you and I were kids, no doubt, uh, Thomas. But um, I mean, yeah, it, it it was revealing, it was disappointing, but it also identifies a solution uh, and a solution that it's going to take a long, long time to fix, but it's something that we must keep, uh, I guess, banging on about. Yeah, absolutely, you know, and um, what I plan to do, uh, I think um, I think it's important that there's more children's books that help uh, people, you know, uh, young people to understand the truth of our history. There's some really great Indigenous authors out there. I know you've got a book coming out soon, brother. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think it's also, um, you know, we've got to help our mob to um, to read as well, you know, and to, um, you know, it's Indigenous literacy is important. It's something that I'm passionate about, um, you know. So I think uh, I think also I'm going to write a book over the over the holiday. Uh, something that can help people, you know, with the analysis of what happened. But uh, another type of handbook is right. what I'm going to to write. You know, I think the the book that Kerry O'Brien and I wrote, the Voice to Parliament handbook, was really helpful. It was a good formula, and uh, a lot of people are asking what's next. So that's what I'll be working on oh. very soon. Well, I look forward to to seeing that come out. And uh, you are quite prolific. You've got six books out now. Um, and, of course, that children's book of yours, uh, Finding Our Heart, is still available in, in bookshops. So if you want to uh, get yourself a copy of that, uh, go ahead. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. One of the things that you point out in your piece, defying racism with love and care in uh, Mean Jen Thomas, is that 
those that oppose the voice, uh, the political leaders that oppose the voice, like the David Little Prouds and the Peter Duttons of the world, um, have had years and years and years in government to close the gap, affect change in uh, the Aboriginal affairs space, and have uh, failed to do so. Um, and then you point out uh, the Northern Territory intervention. What, what parallels did you draw from their approach in relation to the referendum when it comes to the Northern Territory intervention? Well, I guess the biggest thing is the, you know, the dishonesty. Um, the intervention, you know, was, uh, as we know now, was uh, really justified by a, a fabricated report. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, um, it was something that for many millions of dollars made things worse in communities by not listening. Um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, there's a, there's a similar story with, with the referendum, you know, it was, um, it was, uh, you know, the, the attacks on what it was, um, were designed for political gain. And we know that, um, with the intervention, there was disappointment from, uh, coalition uh, members of parliament that they didn't get more of a boost in the polls yeah. uh, for what they did. Um, you know, they, they didn't get rewarded by it. It cost uh, a lot of lives and, uh, and um, you know, it was really damaging to this country and to the relations that with Indigenous peoples. Um, and so, yeah, it's much the same. I mean, you know better than most, being a, a Territorian yourself, that uh, we now have not only an entire generation of the intervention, but we now have grandchildren of the intervention that haven't known in any other way except life under the intervention. And, and we see that, um, I guess, uh, hark up in terms of some of the violence and some of the, the, the crime and, and the imprisonment rates of uh, First Nations people in, in the Territory. So I think we can well and truly say and put a line under it that the uh, the intervention was dreadful for First Nations people in that part of the world and it's something that we must remind ourselves of on, on a daily basis never to go down that path again. Yeah, and it's alarming when, you know, the the opposition is now talking about, you know, and, uh, and we see the trolls jumping on it as well on social media, uh, attacking Labor for not doing a royal commission um, into... Uh, child abuse in Aboriginal communities that um, Dutton uh, and the coalition called for, uh, you know, and, and as I say, uh, as I quote in the article, um, uh, Catherine Little, who's the CEO of mm -hmm. Snake, um, the peak body for uh, Aboriginal children, um, this is um, this is this is very much the same sort of tactic again as the intervention, um, just about political gain, and it's really disgraceful. One of the, I mean, there's like there's so much to unpack here, and and you know, I feel as though uh, as as a mob, we haven't had a chance to decompress or unpack some of the lessons from the referendum because of the horrors that are happening on the other side of the world, and and um, how active people are around those issues here at the moment. But I would suggest that one of the the most devastating things that the No campaign was actually able to, I guess, deploy was. Um, having two prominent Indigenous Australians pretty much as the figureheads of the No campaign. I found that that in conversations I had with people in the back of taxis and Ubers and on the street uh, with friends and family, uh, 
that having uh, those two out front was a devastating tactic for the Yes campaign because uh, it gave people who were either a soft no or a soft yes a way out of uh, voting yes because they would come out and say, well, if those two Aboriginal people aren't voting for it, then why should I? Uh, have you been able to reflect on how you know, their involvement has, has in, their involvement impacted the Yes campaign? Oh, yeah, it was definitely um, very damaging and uh, and it was something that did give uh, some people, a, a whole lot of people, a reason to vote no uh, because they could just point at, at those two. I think, um, you know, there were, there were very few but um, and that's because it, it's, it's shame, you know, what they did. Um, you know, the, uh, the Shadow uh, Indigenous Affairs Minister uh, Senator Price talked about how um, colonisation had absolutely no impact at all on Indigenous people, um, you know, no negative impact. Uh, because we have running water now, I mean, what absolute rubbish, you know, what an embarrassment, what a disgrace, um, you know, and what a traitorous uh, and ignorant thing to say. And, um, you know, it's very hard to... to to imagine what would compel someone to be so dishonest and, and so shameless. And both uh, both Warren Mundine and uh, Senator Price purported to speak on behalf of the, you know, uh, quote-unquote real Aborigines in remote communities around the country. And, of course, in the uh, days following the referendum, we were able to clearly see that the vast majority of those remote communities in the north end of Australia, from Western Australia through to Queensland, overwhelmingly voted yes for the, the referendum. Um, does that make you feel bitter? Does that make you feel angry? Uh, look, yes, uh, I'm, I'm saddened, I'm angry. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm bitter uh, because I just, as, as I try to do in the article... Uh, in the engine, I, I, we need to look forward. It is what it is now. That, that's now part of our history, um, just like the intervention is, just like, um, you know, the Barunga Statement or the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Yakala Bark Petitions and um, all, all the, the other uh, parts of our, our struggle. Um, it's just part of our history. So I'm not bitter. Mm -hmm. um, because to let the bitterness eat you away, you know, I mean, then you just, we just wouldn't achieve anything. And, you know, I mean, we take, uh, I think the best thing that we can do as uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is look to the inspiration that is our elders. You know, we uh, have often failed to achieve what we try in that moment, but I, I see... Uh, many examples of where they persevered and we achieved them and we have a better life for it. So it's the same with recognition. It's the same with justice and um, self-determination. We just continue to build and we take the lessons from uh, 2023 and we get stronger. In the immediate future, I've, I've spoken to, you know, a number of uh, prominent uh, First Nations leaders, uh, both on and off the record, about what needs to happen in you know immediately following the result of the referendum, and a number of them have have come out and said that the uh, the defeat of uh, Peter Dutton to ensure that he never becomes prime minister 
on the back of the momentum that he has gained politically as a result of the referendum outcome is something that um, anyone who cares about the First Nations uh, uh, people, uh, democracy and race relations in, in this country must ensure that uh, Peter, Peter Dutton never becomes Prime Minister. Have you been able to reflect on whatever what needs to happen immediately in the aftermath of the referendum? Yeah, um, well, it's it's a it's a you know large. It's eight hundred thousand Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Uh, many of us are advocates, you know, because it's about our families and our communities. So um, it's difficult to come up with uh, you know one sort of certain uh, thing, you know, like that we take a step on. You know, that's what one of the great things that I thought we had from the Uluru statement, you know, and the opportunity to to establish a voice as the next step. So, you know, there's lots of talks going on. There's all sorts of different ideas. But, uh, you know, I, I agree with the brothers and sisters that you're talking to there. Um, you know, we should all, uh, you know, I mean, how can uh, such bastardry be rewarded? Um, I, I say to the listeners, let that put a fire in your belly. Let's make sure that, um, you know, that those politicians that lied to the Australian public uh, purposely confused them, uh, fear-mongered uh, for their own political gain, as that leaked text message from a uh, Liberal member of parliament indicated that's what it was all about. Um, you know, we've got to get out there and we've got to get political, uh, make sure they're not rewarded, because I'll tell you what, I mean, if you could imagine, uh, you know, Peter Dutton and uh, and those, uh, you know, his uh, shadow minister for Indigenous Affairs getting into power, um, it would take us backwards. It would be such a, a devastating thing for um, the future of our children. Yeah, the result has definitely emboldened the uh, the culture warriors on the right. They've used the referendum as a way of. I guess uh, a term that they invented virtual, virtual um, oh, sorry, virtue signalling to each other about other things uh, like uh, the history wars, oh, so much trans rights, a huge, huge amount of trouble, um, hypocrisy uh, flying about the place. Um, yeah. Before I let you go, uh, Thomas, over 6 million people voted yes. Um, you just alluded to it then. Are there any sort of uh, organisational or infrastructural uh, conversations that are taking place around as to harness uh, the people that did vote yes and turn that into um, another movement or a movement to continue on the fight for, I guess, improving outcomes for First Nations people? Uh, how far down the track are we on that front? Oh, I think we're getting there. Um, there certainly is. Uh, and I say to, you know, the, the many thousands, tens of thousands of people that volunteered uh, and all of those people that voted yes, because, um, you know, the, the people that voted yes were certain about what they're voting for. Quite different from a large portion, I think, of the people that voted no, that, you know, so busy in their lives, so many other priorities yeah. were easily misled by, you know, the likes of Dutton and their slogan, if you don't know, vote no. Um, so, look, I say to everybody, you know, just keep doing the work, um, keep spreading the word, keep telling the truth about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, our past and our present, uh, and don't let your friends and family, uh, you know, do your best. I know it's difficult, but don't let them fall for the disinformation uh, out there and all that. Um, but we are going to establish 
you know, a vehicle to take us forward. And um, and so stay warm, stay campaigning, stay staunch, and we'll get this done eventually. I think it's inevitable because young people, as you said, are coming through and they know better. Maintain the rage, as Gough Whitlam said, not John Howard. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, thanks so much for your time again, Thomas. Um, go out and get a copy of Mangin. It's one of the great uh, publications that this country has. It's uh, got so many great pieces of writing in it and it's exposed so many emerging writings of writers over time. Um, so go out and get yourself a copy of that and you'll find Thomas's uh, essay in there, Defining, defying Racism with uh, Love and Care. Uh, love and care to you, Thomas. Uh, take care and we'll uh, speak again soon. Thank you, Bella. All the best. Let's stand together and unite. Triple R. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, Thomas Mayo's conversation, uh, his insights, his conveying of his lived experience, as has been the case over the past uh, 12 months or so. Uh, the text line has been uh, really good and really insightful this evening. Lots of people making some uh, really interesting comments, uh, particularly about being, uh, I guess, white in this space and, and making decisions and what those decisions are based on when it comes to things like voting yes or no in a thing like the referendum. Uh, just all goes to show uh, what a thoughtful and meaningful community the Triple R listenership is. Well, that's it for uh, another episode of The Mission. I'll be back. I've got two more uh, episodes before we have uh, a wonderful summer of uh, summer fills here on the Triple R grid. Uh, so I look forward to listening to that over the summer. Until then, stay safe, stay strong and stay listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.